So what you're going to listen to now is part one of a series. And this will have explicit language. So please be careful and mindful of who you're around when listening to this. And it comes from a place of deep frustration for me. So yes, there is going to be explicit language. And welcome to part one of Youth Soccer is Fucked. So why am I saying this, that youth soccer is fucked? And really it starts with the way everything is managed and run. But let me give you some numbers here, and the numbers don't lie. So I did some math for you, and I'm willing to wager that over 60% of college teams, their entire roster is international, or 60% of the roster is international. So I have three programs here that I did research on, and, and I'll explain to you how you can do the math yourself if you want to test my, my theory. The first program I picked is a big university in Florida. Now, they have a total of 28 players on their 2020 roster. 21 international, 7 domestic. That means 33% of their roster is domestic. So the other interesting note with them was that their entire starting 11 was foreign. There was not one single domestic-based player in the starting 11. So right there, you can see one of the biggest colleges in the country for football, soccer. The entire starting 11 was international, and 21 out of the 28 rostered players. So just with that, it puts the American player at a huge disadvantage that our own program is bringing in international talent. And don't get me wrong, international talent is good. In fact, in most cases, they're probably better than the American player. But just from them alone, you can see how this could be fucked. Because if only 33% are domestic and the entire starting lineup is not American, that should raise red flags for everybody that the best players, potentially, are not going to get chances. Okay. Now, the second program I picked was another program in Florida. Another big, big program. They had 27 rostered players. 12 international and 15 domestic. So that's 55%, which is better. right? Still better. And so it's over 50%, which means you have a little bit better shot in theory. Okay, the next one is a Division II program in Florida. They had a 36-man roster, 22 internationals, and 14 domestic. That's 38%. So, again, another big gap in the numbers. And these numbers don't lie. It's, it's hard because we're looking at this going, okay, We've done three examples. These are real life examples. This is not made up. You can do the math and I'm going to teach you how. And with all three programs under 60% are domestic, right? One program had 55% domestic, another program had 33%, and another program had 38%. So the numbers already are against you just from a domestic to an international standard. And the average probably, I don't have this confirmed, but probably across the country is 60% of teams are going to be internationally based rosters. Now, 
Why? Why would, a, why would this be the case that we're or our American players are getting fucked? And it's simply because, I'm going to be honest with you, the international player, let's take a European or South American player, is going to be better than the American-based player. Let's put this on 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 times are going to be better. Here's why. The platform is better. The training is better. The environment is better. Right? When I played college soccer, I played with a lot of guys. In fact, my program, there was about 8 domestic players. And the rest were international. We had about 34 or something like that. So think about that number. And... It's because they're going to be better overall players. Think about the environment that a lot of these guys come from. Let's take a let's take a group from from Germany, right? If you take a player from Germany, you follow his career from a young player up. He's going to play for an academy. Let's say he plays for a big Bundesliga club, gets rejected at some point. I'd say 14 years old gets rejected, moves down the ladder a little bit, plays for a Division three club, right? Maybe makes the first team at 16, 17 years old. Okay, gets cut from there, goes to a Division Four team, maybe five. And he's 18 years old, 19 years old, and he's looking for a new experience. Doesn't feel like he's going to make it as an elite professional. But he's already got first team games at 17 and 18 years old. Where our guys at 17, 18 years old are playing their age group. And that's probably true for 98% of American players. They're playing their age group at 17 years old. That's fucked. Completely fucked. And how are we going to develop players for the elite international level or win a World Cup if our players aren't getting the experience at 15, 16 years old? And college is great. I think college is a great platform. And you can play some high-level competition in college. But again, if you're not getting the adult experience, how are you going to grow? And here's a real-life example. This happened to me. My first adult game was when I was 18 years old in college. My first adult game. Because before that, I played my age group. Or I played one year up. Never played against adults. So I walked through the door at college, and I'm going, whoa, this is different. My first game, we played against a 32-year-old. And I'm 18, and I'm going, whoa, this is a little bit different. Whoa, whoa, this is different. Uncomfortable. Not used to it. Don't know what you're getting into. You've never done it. And it's too late at that age. You need to be getting that experience at 16, 17 years old if you can physically hang. Now, I will tell you where we do actually have some benefit. And that's because we have a program in the Division Four level called UPSL. Now, I would love for kids to get shots on these teams. Not a lot of programs do that. But at least we can have the platform because there's UPSL all over the country. There's like 400 teams or something like that. I mean, imagine if UPSL teams had young kids coming through the program and getting first-team experience. You're telling me they're not going to be more ready for college or USL or MLS? Oh, hell no. They're going to be way better and more prepared. They're already playing at a level where a lot of guys have come from things like that. A lot of players that have played UPSL have played at a higher level before than UPSL. Not all of them, but there's a good amount. And so getting that experience at 16 is huge, even if you're just training. Even just training. So it's, it's game-changing that that kind of thing happens. And that's a huge step for players in these international countries. Now let me give you some pro numbers and show you how fucked this really is. Okay, first one. Pro club in the United States. 31 total players. 
19 international, 11 domestic. 35% domestic. Another program, pro club, 26 total players, 15 international, 11 domestic. 42% domestic. So again, under 50% of our players at the pro level are international. Is that not just alarming to you? This is the same thing that happened to the Premier League in England. They had to set aside rules that mandated pro clubs in England to promote more youth team players. They have to have a minimum number of players. I think it's five. A minimum of five players that have come through their programming or be homegrown for the American term of it. And they're trying to add more value and more protection to their players to have future opportunities. Now, the other side you need to look at this from is a standpoint, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, football, unfortunately, is a business, and it's a big business, right? When we look at international clubs, it's it doesn't look like it, but it is about money, and it's a harsh truth to accept because we look at it and go, oh, well, they're developing players. Yes, they develop players to make money. So just because a player's in a program and it's free, the club is going to make money in the end, especially when they sign big contracts. So that's one thing to be mindful of is, well, it's international, yes, but it's about money. Okay, so the same concept is true here. It's about money. It's about the program doing what it can to win. So we're looking at these college teams and pro teams. Why do you think that they're going and picking up international talent? Because like I mentioned before, they're better. What other reason would they do that? When you get to college and the pro level, what do they need to do? Win. When a college coach gets hired, nine times out of ten, they're hired to try and win the national championship or win the conference or something. Coaches that have losing records get fired. Same thing in the pro level. If they have a losing record, they get fired. So it's a different type of development process at this point because they're professional. So it's harder because now you're talking about just winning. And they're going to bring in the best players possible to win games. So if you don't believe that and understand, that's why if we look at these top programs... Again, in the college level or the pro level we have here, and they're picking up international talent, it should be a no-brainer, really, as to why that's happening. Now, in a future or in the next part of Youth Soccer is Fucked, I'll explain why it's like this. And you already know probably what I'm going to say, and it's because of the model that we have at the youth level, which I'll dive into in another part. But please understand what I'm trying to get get you to, to see at this point. If our numbers are that low and using the pro level, it's under 43%. So the highest one that I did the research on so far, I can't say I researched all of them. I'm just using the ones that I have. The highest one was 42% domestic. Not even 50% of the roster was a was an American-born player. Not even American-born. So, again, and looking at it from the college lineup, it just makes it more and more Difficult, because it's just trying to talk about what it takes to reach the next level. And of course, the clubs at the highest level in our country, again, college or pro, they need to win. 
They need to win games. They need to win tournaments. They need to win championships. They need to win their league. And if they're not doing that, the coaches are going to get fired. So if you have an option, right? let, let me put it to you this way. You have two options. Let's say you need a center forward, a number nine, striker. And you have an option of a 23-year-old German player who has four years experience playing adult-level football. right? And I'm using a college example here. Never played pro, but played adult-level football. And you have an option of a center forward who is 18 years old, coming out, and plays at his age group. Who do you think is more likely to succeed at a top Division I school? Who do you think is more likely to succeed? The guy that's playing his age group and maybe tearing it up, maybe tearing it up. Yeah, sure, he could be tearing it up. Or the international player that has four years experience playing pro, sorry, not pro, sorry, not pro, adult level football. And the resounding answer, of course, is going to be the guy that has more experience. Now, of course, there might be some things with language and the adjustment they need to make. But just from a footballing perspective, if, you, if all things else are considered equal and you drop this player off in the same platform and they have four years more experience playing at that level or a level similar, of course they're going to be better suited. So when this coach has those two options, I think it's understandable as to why they would pick, hey, I'm going to pick the international player versus the American player. Wouldn't you? If I'm a college coach, guess where I'm going? And... Listen, let me say that again. Let's pretend for a second I'm a college coach. Where do you think I'm going to do most of my recruiting? <laughs> international, damn right I am. Damn right I am. I'm going to go to international, and here's why. I've seen it at the youth level. I see the way players are trained, the way players are developed. It's missing. We're missing key pieces to this puzzle. And maybe you don't believe that, but here's how I can finalize this for you. I'm going to finish the episode on this. Please give me one example. One. Because I haven't found one yet. That doesn't. You can prove me wrong, by the way. Please do. If you actually have this, prove me wrong. Of a kid that has gone through the American system from, let's say, 8 years old up to 18. 8 years old up to 18. Leaves at 18 years old and goes on to become a world-class player. World class, and I mean Champions League level performer for one of the top 20 clubs in the world. Show me a player that has not left the system. So Christian Pulisic, out. Gio Reyna, out. All these other American players that are playing overseas under the age of 18, out. So again, let me tell you how you define, or how I'm defining this. Between the age of 8 to 18, the player must be developed in the United States during that entire time period. Doesn't leave the country to play for another club. Now, if they go on for an experience or a trial or something, that's different. But I mean sign for an international program between the ages of 8 and 18. Show me a player that has done that in the United States and has gone on to represent us at the highest level in the world. The Champions League level at one of the top 20 clubs in the world. I've not found one yet. But that right there is why youth soccer is fucked. Until our elite level programs buy into developing talent domestically, what we call homegrown, 
and promoting them through the system to get them to the first team so that way they can be sold later for significant profit at, say, 22 years old, 20 years old, and go play for an elite club, you can see now why maybe, maybe we still haven't won a World Cup yet. We still don't have more players at the international level. And you know what? We are having more breakthrough. We have a few more players, let's say 25 good players in, in Europe right now. 25 good players. But it's not all as pretty as it seems. As somebody that's on the front lines, I can tell you for damn sure it's not. Because I'm out here every single day grinding through this. Living this. And I'm trying to bring awareness to say, this is fucked and we need to change it. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and finding valuable information from it. Now, I do have a quick ask of you and that would be to make sure to follow me on all social media platforms like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, which is at Kyle C. Wilson Official, and on Twitter, which is the Kyle C. Wilson. And if you could help me do that, that would continue to help reinforce the ideas that I want to continue producing content specifically made for you guys to help educate you. And as always, you know I'm there to help as I have $23,195 worth of content available for free through my YouTube channel that will answer and help a lot of the problems that you're going through, or at least your child's going through. So if you haven't found that yet, go to the YouTube channel, Kyle C. Wilson Official. And without further ado, let's get back into the episode.